Thanks, Shelley. Uh, I would love for you guys to open up your Bibles with me to 1 John. And uh, let me fill you in on a cu- couple other things real quick. First of all, I'm fighting a bit of a cold, so I, I have a water bottle up here just in case uh, I get in a coughing fit. I'll try not to deafen you with that. I'm sorry. Um, uh, this last week, we, we actually concluded 40 days of prayer. And um, I want to let you know, we're going to do another 10 days, okay? I, I won't keep doing that. But uh, when I initially thought about our church praying, I had in mind the, the, the idea of 50 days because... Um, uh, Passover is f- uh, 50 days before Pentecost, okay? So we, we, we concluded uh, the Gospel of Luke with um, Christ's death and resurrection, and then we went right into Acts where the Holy Spirit comes in power on Pentecost. And so I had in mind originally uh, 50 days of prayer and went with 40, I, I think because I didn't have time in one of my messages to like squeeze that explanation in there, uh, which is a silly thing, right? So the reason I'm telling you this is because we're going to pray for another 10 days, and, and we've also decided, those of us who've been gathering at our house on Monday nights, that uh, this Monday night prayer has been so good that we want to do that indefinitely. Um, so come join us at our house sometime uh, on a Monday night for prayer from 7.30 to 8. Uh, also, if you would like to host that, we would love to show up to your house and pray. So if that's something that you might be interested in doing, you can let me know. And then I, I want to m- just mention one other thing real quick, which is our adult Sunday school. Uh, I, I would assume that some of you don't even know we have an adult Sunday school. Um, we meet back here, like where the children meet, uh, at 8.45 to about 9.45 on Sunday mornings. We're going through the book of Hebrews. It's, it's wonderful. So uh, I would love for you to come and enjoy that with us as well. All right. Well, um, as we carry on in our gradual approach to Christmas, Um, we're going to continue to kind of make our way through the opening of John's gospel. So that's why I've asked you to turn to John chapter 1. And our theme in this year's Advent season is the light of life. And the reason why we're going to John is because I think the Apostle John does such a wonderful job of teasing this idea out in the opening of his gospel. If you remember last week, um, as we started Advent, I claimed that the light of Christ is saving light, it's transforming light, it is sustaining light, and it is everlasting light. Jesus Christ is the life and light of men, and although darkness has overtaken this fallen world, and it's often traumatizing the darkness that we live in, Christ shines in that darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome His light. And this morning as we read John, it's my prayer that we would see that we are children of God because of the life that we have in Christ. So let me pray to that end, and then we'll read this together. Lord God, I ask that You would teach us what it means that we are children of God because of the work of Christ. And I pray that it wouldn't be something that we know just in our heads, but something that truly transforms our hearts. That we would look to you as our good heavenly Father, that we would long for what you long for, that we would labor for what you labor for, that we would ask for what it is that you long to see in your kingdom, in your people, in your world. And Lord, we thank you that we have this privilege of being called your children, sitting at your table, taking upon ourselves 
your same name, um, being called a part of the family of God, we're blessed by that. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us what that means here this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let me read John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I want to tackle this text this morning by breaking it down kind of into three sections. The first one is just verses 6 through 8. So let me reread that. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Uh, At the beginning of his gospel, the apostle John introduces us to two characters. Jesus, obviously, because the book of John, the gospel of John, is primarily about Jesus. But secondly, he introduces us to John the Baptist, okay? And just to clarify, there are two Johns whose names I'm going to reference this morning, and uh, it's kind of confusing, so follow with me for a second. Some of you probably know this, but I want to make sure that others of you uh, understand what's going on here. If you look at the top page of your Bible there, it probably says the gospel according to John, and then you are introduced to this guy, John. These are two totally different people, okay? John the Apostle is the author of the gospel of John, and he was one of the disciples who followed Jesus. He's not to be confused with John the Baptist, who we get introduced to right here. John the Baptist was not a disciple of Jesus. Rather, he was a prophet sent by God, who showed up on the scene before Jesus entered the scene to prepare the way for the ministry of Jesus and to testify that Jesus was the Son of God, okay? This is what John the Apostle tells us in verses 6 through 8 as the author of this book. He says, John the Baptist was a prophet sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus, the light of the world. And it's an important point of clarification, okay, because uh, John the Baptist, who's here in our story, was venerated by many of his fellow Jews. They, they thought that he was a prophet and maybe even more than a prophet. There were some who thought that he was uh, actually the Messiah himself, that he was the Savior that Israel was waiting for. But we find in these verses that John the Apostle wants to clarify right at the beginning John the Baptist is not himself the light. He's only a man sent by God to bear witness to Jesus, the Son of God, to the true light. Let me give you a couple different ways of thinking about this, okay? Um, If you've uh, ever been somewhere to hear somebody give like a speech or something, uh, you maybe have noticed this phenomenon that there's like the speaker before the speaker. Seen that, right? So uh, somebody famous is going to talk, and so they have somebody else get up and, and read a long list of reasons why you should listen to this person, all the things they've accomplished, the reasons why they're cool and awesome and all that. It's the introduction to the speaker, okay? 
Uh, John the Baptist is that guy. He shows up on the scene. He's not the main speaker. He's come only to introduce the main speaker so that you know how incredibly awesome the main speaker is, okay? Maybe a better illustration would be this. Actually, the moon, since we're talking about light and darkness, I'm sure you know, I hope you know, that the moon actually doesn't have any of its own light. The moon does not produce its own light. Although on a night where the full moon shines, I mean, here in Maricopa, it's, it's spectacular, isn't it? There's almost so much light, it feels like daylight. You can see in the darkness, although that's the case, that light that you're perceiving from the moon is not actually the moon's light. The moon only reflects the light of the sun as the sun shines. And so, this is cool. In, in the dark, in the night, the moon bears witness to the fact that on the other side of the planet, even though you can't see it, the sun is still shining. What you are observing is the sunlight coming from the moon. You see it glow, but you see the sun. And so if you snuffed out the sun in our galaxy, if you were somehow able to do that, and you plunged our whole galaxy into darkness, do you understand? You wouldn't even know the moon was there. You would have no way of seeing it if not for the sun. But when the moon does shine, the whole point of the moon shining is to pass on in the darkness of night the illumination of the sun. How incredible is the mind of our God that He designed it that way. So the moon, when it shines, it testifies to the brilliant light of the sun. This is John the Baptist. Okay? He came to bear witness to the light that all might believe through Him that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the light of life, our Savior, our Messiah. And if we, were read, if we were to read further into our text of John this morning, uh, chapter 1, verses 19 through 34, if we were to finish out this first chapter, what we would see is that John the Baptist had no desire to talk about himself. None whatsoever. Because he wasn't the light. He didn't want to be perceived as the light. Instead, he wanted to speak about Jesus, the Lamb of God, the light of the world, the one who came to take away the sins of the world, the Son of God, the one whose power and prestige and importance was so lofty that John the Baptist would say, I'm not even worthy to bow down at his feet and untie his sandals. That's how incredible he is. Now, this is a truly amazing uh, reality because most people are concerned primarily to testifying of their own greatness, aren't they? There's a comedian I like, maybe you've heard of him, Brian Regan. He calls these people me monsters. You probably know a me monster or two, don't you? These are people who want to be recognized for their own accomplishments, celebrated for their own greatness, known among mankind as something spectacular and awesome. They love to talk about themselves. Um, Leanne and I sort of had an encounter with somebody like this recently, and I think in a few hours of, of, of conversation, I don't believe any of you know this person, so I'm safe saying this, in a few hours of conversation, I was not asked a single question about myself. Isn't that amazing? And yet I could tell you all kinds of things about this person. Um, they just love to talk about themselves. But before we go and point that finger at somebody else, don't we all, to some degree, struggle with being a me monster? 
right? Don't we love to talk about ourselves? John the Baptist is quite a, a contradiction to this phenomenon. His only joy, his only purpose, the only point of his life was to reflect the light of Christ, to testify to the life of Jesus. That's why he said joyfully and eagerly, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Because John knew he wasn't the light and he wanted his life to point to the light of Christ so that people around him would see and believe and be saved. And John the Baptist is a good example for us in this, isn't he? Because he doesn't claim to be anything special. He only claims to be able to point to Jesus, the one who is special. He's not a me monster concerned with himself primarily. Everything he does points to Jesus. I like to use the phrase, I'm cool by association. I'm not cool myself, but I know Jesus, and so I get to be cool by association. There's one more little phrase here I want you to see this morning at the end of verse 7, where it says, John's goal was that all might believe through him. John desired that through his life, all who were willing to hear would believe in his message. More importantly, that they would place their trust in Jesus Christ. That, that they would see the greatness of Jesus through the life of John. That they would cast themselves upon the mercy of Jesus. That they would be baptized into the power of Christ. That they would believe like John believed that Christ is the light of life. The Son of God who came to take away their sin. In other words, John hoped that as people looked at his life that they would see Christ and that in seeing Jesus, people would place their hope, their peace, their joy, their trust, all of their longings, all of their desires, all of their purpose for life in Christ, the light of life. Tragically, that is not what happened. Few believed what John had to say about Jesus. And so I think it's fair to say that on one level, John the Baptist failed in accomplishing what he desired. He failed in his ministry if his desire was that all would believe. But on another level, that's absolutely not true. On another level, John succeeded in every way. And so let me tease these two things out. Look at verses 9 through 11. John the Apostle writes, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. These verses tell us that Jesus, the light of the world, came to his own people, that's the Jews, but they rejected him. They refused to receive him as the Messiah, as God. The Jewish people were chosen by God to be a blessing to all of the earth. They were given in that blessing a promise that one day a Messiah would come from the seed of David and he would bring about freedom from spiritual slavery to sin. He would establish an everlasting kingdom under the power and authority of God himself. And Jesus is that promise. He is the fulfillment of that promise. But he comes to his people, the Jews... And they are blind to his light. 
They reject him. And so, although John the Baptist had the goal that all might believe through his testimony, large numbers of the Jewish people refused to place their faith and trust in Jesus. But look at verse 9, because it's not as though John failed. In fact, again, I would say John succeeded in every way. Because verse 9 tells us that the light of Christ which John bore witness to brought light to everyone. Look, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Before Christ, all of creation was under a great shroud of darkness, the shadow of evil and death. But in the revelation of Jesus Christ, God has brought His divine light to bear upon mankind that they might be saved from darkness, from death. This is good news for those of us honest enough to see how broken and how messed up we are. But we have to think carefully about what John the Apostle means as he writes this, when he writes that Jesus is the true light that gives light to everyone. What does he mean by everyone? And this is where context is our friend, okay? It helps us understand what John is talking about. We can get in trouble when we take like one verse out of the Bible and we don't think about what it means in light of the verses that come before and after it, okay? If we read verse 9, we see that word everyone. Then we read verses 10, 11, and 12. What we see is that although Jesus shone in the darkness and made it possible for mankind to live in light, and in that way He is light to everyone, He has revealed God the Father to us, not everyone chooses to believe in Christ. Not everyone chooses to walk in that light. So we shouldn't see John the Apostle as trying to tell us that everyone is saved through Jesus Christ, who is the light. Quite the contrary. John wants us to see that although Jesus shines in the darkness and is light of life to everyone who places their trust in Him, only those who turn to Him in repentance and faith receive that light and are saved. That's what we see in verses 10 through 12. Tragically, not everybody chooses to do that. Look at it this way. Even though on uh, the most brilliantly sunny day when nothing is hidden, the sun shines with the most illuminating light, you can still close your eyes and be in darkness. You only benefit from the light of the sun in being able to see the world around you if your eyes are open. And if in stubborn refusal to live under the light of the sun, you choose to walk around with your eyes closed, you remain in darkness even if the sunlight is shining as bright as it can shine at high noon. How foolish are the hearts of men that although God has revealed the light of life in Jesus Christ, many choose to close their eyes and stubbornly walk through this life with the eyes of their hearts squeezed shut in rebellion and refusal to accept the light of Christ. And I would warn you, don't be so foolish. I pray that none of us in this room are so hard-hearted hearing the message of life and light in Christ, but still choosing to stumble around in the darkness in pride instead. 
because we're too proud to open our eyes to acknowledge Him as Lord and to come under His mercy. I mean, the sad truth is you can walk around in broad daylight with your eyes closed and you're totally blind in spite of the fact that you're surrounded by revealing light. And what a tragedy to prefer blindness and darkness when light is available. And I want to point out the other thing here. Verse 9 tells us that Jesus Christ is true light. True light. He's not counterfeit light. He's not just one light among many lights. He's not a pale light. He's not an artificial light. Jesus is true light. Uh, When Leanne and I take our kids camping, she has come up with this brilliant idea. Uh, She purchased a couple like solar lights that you can put in the ground. And we stick them in the ground around our tent so that in the dark we don't go tripping over the wires that hold our tent to the ground or stubbing our toe on the rocks that keep the tarp down. And they're solar-powered lights, so during the day they charge up, and when it starts to get dark, they pop on, and we know where our tent is in relation to everything else in our camp. But in broad daylight, we don't need those solar lights, right? Because the sun itself shines, and we can see everything. We can see the tent and all the rocks around it, and they, the sunlight keeps us from stumbling. It would be foolish of us, understand, to prefer the pale light of those minuscule solar lights over the bright light of the sun, as if somehow an artificial light is better than true light. Those lights receive their light from the sun itself, and without the sun shining, they couldn't even produce light in the first place. They're not battery-powered. They're totally dependent upon solar energy. The point is this. I want you to understand this. God, in His goodness and kindness, has filled this dark world and this dark life with a thousand points of subtle light. God is so good. He's so loving. He's so kind that He gives to all of humanity light, the just and the unjust alike. These flashes of His kindness and goodness in the darkness that allow us to experience wonderful things as His creatures. Uh, Let me attempt to just describe a couple of them to you. A good meal of exceptionally delicious food with friends or family that we love. A fun evening with friends or family that we love. A -a once-in-a-lifetime vacation to make memories and get some rest. What about the experience of falling in love? Maybe it's a raise from your boss, an encouraging word from somebody whose opinion you care about, a unique accomplishment that you achieved, the birth of a child, the joy of a marriage, little things like weekends or Christmas that give us rest and warm our hearts. I mean, there are literally a million little things in this life, little points of light that God, because He is so kind, gives to us that mankind might praise Him and glorify Him and offer worship and thanks to Him for the goodness 
that he gives to us. And as great as these things are, I hope you can think of a couple of them yourselves, right? As great as these things are, they're only like little teeny solar-powered camping lights. They suffer from two deficiencies. First, the lights fade and eventually go out. Uh, One of the tragedies of the solar lights is that when you're camping and you have to wake up at four in the morning to go use the restroom, the lights are already out by then. They fade. They go out. These little lights that God gives us, these daily kindnesses that He brings our way, we shouldn't cling to them because they're not true light. And when they go out, we become devastated that they didn't fulfill us like true light fulfills us. Have you seen this in somebody? Somebody who's placed their hope in an insubstantial thing, in a fleeting temporary thing? Secondly, though, these things, even though uh, they're wonderful lights for us to enjoy, they have their source in God Himself. God is the Father of lights. He delights in giving His children, mankind, good things that we might acknowledge Him and give Him thanks and see Him as the source of all light. And so, friends, don't you see those thousand points of light that God has given kindly to us? Every single one of those things has their source in God. Ultimately, as you are appreciating those things, you should be appreciating God, the giver of those things. They're wonderful things, but they're not ultimate things. They are meant, like John the Baptist, to point us to Jesus, the ultimate thing. They receive their reflecting goodness from Him. And it's our joy and our privilege to turn to Him, to God, in thanksgiving and delight over the way in which those lights reflect His love and His faithfulness to us. If God ceased shining, then every one of those brilliant points of light that He gives us in kindness would also cease to shine. And so this Christmas season, as you enjoy all that this life has to offer, the thousand points of light that God kindly gives to us on a daily basis, I implore you to remember the source of that light, Christ Himself, so that our hearts might give Him praise and glory for who He is and all that He's done, that we might remember that God is the Father of lights who delights to give good things to His children. I want to tackle our last two verses and move to wrap this up, okay? Verses 12 through 13. The Apostle John writes, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I want to just highlight two things here. The first is the need that we have to believe in Jesus, okay? And maybe you're a Christian, you're like, I already believe in Jesus. Well, let me remind you of the need that you have to continually place your trust in Christ. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. I want it to be undeniably clear that there is no other way to God except through Christ. A Christian is a person who has placed all of their trust 
in God. They know that he will be faithful to do all that he has said. They have surrendered their lives into his hands. In fact, if you are a Christian, your life is no longer your life to live. It belongs entirely to Jesus. And if you see it any other way, I warn you, you may not actually be a Christian. Christians are those who have walked out of the darkness where we used to dwell when we were the masters of our own destiny. And instead, we have come to bow at the feet of Jesus. We have acknowledged Him as the light of life, our Savior, our Lord. We believe that what Jesus declares for us is best, even if it's contrary to culture or what's cool or hip or modern. We trust that what Jesus commands for us to do is good and for our benefit. We hate the darkness and we love what He loves. We have no greater joy then obedience to Him, surrender to His will, trust in His faithfulness. At the end of his gospel, John writes, John the Apostle writes these words. He, he starts his gospel by talking about the importance of belief in Jesus, and at the end he writes these words. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. I think this is fascinating because John bookends his story with belief, belief in Jesus. Because John the Apostle understands that only through Christ do we have the light of life. In other words, if you want life, look to Christ, believe in Him. Every other way of believing leads only to death and destruction. And I can't stress enough how important this is for us as Christians to remain faithful, to keep our trust in Jesus. And I think we need to be reminded of that because we're tempted to doubt and disbelieve and turn to other things. And for those of you who are not Christians this morning, you need to be told to turn to Christ and believe, to trust in Him. It's so simple, but this is the essence of the Christian faith. It it is not us It is the one in whom we have placed our trust, Christ. But there's an amazing point in verse 12 too, isn't there? And I promise this will really be my last point. For all of us who believe in His name, Jesus gives us the right to become children of God. I want you to stop for just a second and think about that idea. That if you believe in Jesus, you are a child of God. If you trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you look to Him for life, then you have become a child of God. This is no small thing. You are not merely a slave in the house of God. You are not merely an employee. You are not a mere acquaintance who God sort of knows. You're not merely the subject of an almighty king or an indentured servant to one who you have a great debt to. You are not an unknown member of his entourage, just a name on a list somewhere 
without him knowing you. You are a child of the Most High God through faith in Christ. And through faith in Christ, you have received all of the benefits that title entails because of God's kindness to you. Wow. Think about all of the privileges that a child receives. I, I, I tried to sit down and, and come up with a list. Like, I don't, even, I don't even know where to begin. I have to just, like, appeal to those of you who have children who understand. In my house, my children live in safety because Leanne and I watch over them. I don't think that my children actually really know what, like, real fear is. Because I make sure that they don't have to have that experience. In my house, my children have all of their needs provided for. All of their needs provided for. In my house, Leanne and I essentially do all of the real hard work. I mean, we started making them empty the dishwasher and things, but... We do the real hard work, right? And they get all of the benefit. They get to just like show up at the table and eat the food that we've worked hard to buy and then cook and then serve and then clean up and then do again and again and again and again. In my house, my children are loved unconditionally. And I'm a cruddy father. Think about God. And how he loves his children. In my house, my children are celebrated for their accomplishments. They're precious. They are beloved. And I think truly one of the hardest concepts of the Christian faith to grasp is that after we turn to Jesus Christ and acknowledge what a sack of crap we are because of sin, we go from being a tremendously disfigured, ugly, unlovable creature of the darkness to a gloriously beautiful child of God. Do you grasp that transformation? Because it's not because of you, it's because God who loves you has chosen to wrap His gracious arms around you to adopt you into His family to claim you as his own, to write his name upon your heart. It's not because we're beautiful. It's not because we deserved it. It's because God is love. And I don't know about you, but I'm often tempted to behave like maybe like an abused or neglected child would behave in the house of his parents, slinking around the house, hoping not to catch God's attention. Because if I remind him that I'm here, he'll be reminded of how much he despises me. Do you ever feel that way, as if you don't want God to see you because you doubt he cares? You're afraid that if he is reminded that you're here, that you'll have to be reminded about how disappointed he is in you? But you need to understand, because of what Jesus Christ has done, God delights in you. I'm almost afraid to even say that because it sounds too lofty, too glorious to claim that God delights in me because of what Jesus has done, because I am a child of God. But that's what a good father does. He delights in his children. He loves his children. He spoils 
his children. He gives them beyond what they would even dream or dare to ask him in Christ. Yes, sometimes a good father also disciplines his children. Out of love, he certainly sets up rules for them in his house, boundaries within which they must live. But even in that, a good father has great joy in the children he delights to call his own. Not merely because they obey him, but because they belong to him. They make him proud. They are his beloved. He enjoys giving to them all that they need and even much that they desire. Now, I realize maybe that makes you uncomfortable to speak so highly of us frail human creatures before a holy, holy God. Honestly, it made me uncomfortable writing this because I don't want to think too highly of myself. I want to be like John. I want Jesus to increase and I want to decrease. But this is what the text of John tells us that Jesus has given us the right to become children of God. The fact that Jesus was born as a baby in Bethlehem shows us that God can't possibly think too highly of us as his children, as broken and as screwed up as we are, because God literally, out of love for us, took his own son, Jesus Christ, and placed him on the altar, shedding the blood of his son, so that we might be redeemed, so that we might be called children of God. And of course, this is a grace. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You could never repay it back. You have no right to demand it. But God delights to give it to His children. Those who by His own divine will, He has chosen to give the light of eternal life. So here's my hope and prayer for you this week. That Jesus Christ, the light of life, would offer to you a great kindness through His Holy Spirit inside of you. That through the power of His Holy Spirit, you might know and comprehend in your heart of hearts how much God delights to call you His child. That you might know deep in your soul the joy and privilege of being called by His name because of the work that Jesus did on your behalf. You are a beloved child of God by right through Jesus Christ. Let me pray. God, we need your mercy not only to make this true, to make this a reality that we would be called your children, but we need your mercy to even comprehend and understand and and feel and acknowledge and know what this means. God, this week, would you teach us what it means to be a beloved child of the Most High King? Would you show us in Christ in the manger the depth of your love for us? Would you help us understand how much you delight in us? And God, I pray that all of those things would cause us to turn to you, to give you glory and worship and praise to offer to you greater obedience and ever more of our heart to come under your lordship, that you might be glorified in the truth that we are your children. Amen.